Welcome to the 222nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Jennifer Fainer Wells, author of the science fiction book Remnants, Confluence Book Two. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Fainer Wells. Wells' latest novel is the second book in a science fiction series, Remnants, Confluence Book Two, which was published in March. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Great. Well, can you read the first chapter of Remnants, Confluence Book Two? I would love to. Um, Here we go. Chapter one. When the first blow hit the ship, Kai Negley was thrown across his enclosure with a violence he'd never known in his long life. He thudded into the wall of his tank so hard he lost consciousness for a moment. When he came to, he reeled with pain and consternation. He had incurred soft tissue damage, for sure. He'd regenerate, but it was a blow to his ego to be treated with such blatant contempt. His limbs curled in impotent rage as he went immediately to assess the damage to his ship. Some of his equipment was failing from the impact— but he was able to determine that there was a breach on the starboard side, a gaping hole in the protective envelope of the ship. If there had been sectilians still alive on board, thousands would have met dusk from explosive decompression. He was incredulous. This was a science vessel. It was unthinkable to damage a functional ship so wantonly. He itched to retaliate, but of course he had no recourse and they knew it. Without a commanding officer, he was powerless to do anything but endure this insult. They'd made their point. Perhaps they'd thought that he'd change his mind under threat. He would not. He set several thousand cadres of microscopic escutcheon squillae to move into the damaged areas. It would take years for them to close that gap, harvesting material from other areas of the ship, molecule by molecule. But if anyone could guide them to such a feat, it was Kai Negley. Then he saw it. Red light in his peripheral vision. He rotated his funnel to change direction and froze in place, his eyes widening. They wouldn't dare. A laser was shining through the opening they'd created in the hull of the ship. They were slicing open his enclosure. He trembled with horror. How could they even contemplate such an action? Because he'd refused them? They would kill him for that? Why not just let him be? Move on. He had to verify it with his own eyes. He jetted closer to that end of his habitat. Without the tough exterior of the ship in the way and the escutcheon to reform over the cuts, there was little to impede the laser. The line they were scribing was moving fast, and water was already spilling out of the opening. He marshaled every squillet in the area to converge on the line already cut to rebond the material. They moved en masse, but were caught up in the flood of escaping water, carried away to be lodged within shards frozen in the vacuum of space. Nothing could save him. He had nothing left. He was powerless to stop them. Perhaps they expected him to capitulate now, but he would never cooperate with thugs like this. This was this kind of behavior was beneath him. He watched the laser mercilessly cut across the barrier between himself and the void, Cracks began to form in the transparent material as the pressure of the water pushed against the weakened areas. He could hear the tank creaking and groaning under the strain. He never would have guessed he'd meet dusk in this manner. Suddenly, it gave way. 
He didn't even fight the rush of water. The sluice hurled him through the line of the laser itself. He barely registered the pain of amputation as he flipped end over end, his remaining limbs reaching out and finding nothing to cling to. He was thrown clear of the ship, his mantle fluttering with no water left to push against. The last thing he saw before dusk settled over him was the porticullis initiating a jump sequence and leaving him behind. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Remnants yet, how would you describe your new novel? Um, well, uh, the first book is really sort of an introduction to the characters and an introduction to the world and um, a, a, a discovery sort of novel. And this book is sort of a, a journey adventure, I would say. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the Confluence series? Um, yeah, I wanted to write something that was, um, I wanted a fish out of water story. I knew I wanted to write something that was contemporary science fiction. So these are sort of, it actually takes place in 2017. That was when I said it. Um, I wanted to write something that was in a similar universe to our own, but slightly different. So, um, in the story of, uh, of my world, a lot of people's conspiracy theories are actually real. Um, uh, I, I guess I just, I wanted to be able to make contemporary jokes. So that was one of the main reasons why I wanted it to be contemporary. And also because that just isn't done very often. And, um, I, I wanted it to be near earth. Um, so I just sort of started from there and, uh, um, I don't know. I guess that's, that's where I started from. <laughs> okay, great. Well, well, what is your what has your writing journey been? Have you always loved writing? I I remember being in fourth grade and going to a young authors conference. <laughs> um, yes, I have always wanted to be a writer. I remember kind of having an existential crisis in eighth grade because. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer so badly, but I just didn't think I was creative enough at that age. I was just kind of felt like I was doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, ultimately time proved my young self wrong, I guess. And, and what kept you going over, over, you know, uh, the years as you, as you, you know, uh, started writing, you know, more fiction and, and novels. Um, kept me going that's I don't know I think there's there, novelists have um maybe a tragic need for completism <laughs> <laughs> to uh to finish what they started if when if I don't finish projects that I start I feel a vague sense of unease until it's complete so there's that going for me um also, I just, um, you know, the, you have to enjoy the process, I think, uh, to be really successful at it. And um, I don't know, you have to have a lot of just sort of persistence. Sure. So what, what led you to, to self-publishing your novels? Had you, um, had you gone after traditional publication? What, what was that process like for you? Well, that's interesting. Um, I... I originally intended to self-publish and I took my, this, I took fluency, my first book to my writing, my critique group that I belonged to at the time, a local group. 
and they read it and critiqued it. And uh, one of the people in that group whose writing I respected um, and, and who, you know, I trust as a friend sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, if you don't try traditional publishing with this book, I think you'll be selling yourself short because uh, he said that, you know, he thought that it, it, it merited that. So I went ahead and tried for a while and um, I sent out query letters, you know, dotting every I, jumping through every hoop um, to all the top uh, literary agents who, who, you know, represent science fiction. And I never got a reply. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I sort of just, I found the process just frustrating. Um, And uh, I didn't want to go farther and farther down the list until I ended up submitting you know, to, to small publishers who weren't going to be able to give me any more or possibly give me less than, than self-publishing could. And, uh, I just decided to just go forward and, and with my original plan and I did. And, um, surprisingly, uh, it was amazingly successful and, uh, I don't know how it happened. (laughs) I don't know what, what, you know, people ask me all the time how I did it. I really don't know. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it turned out for the best. So, and now I've gotten traditional publishing deals with it. Um, uh, Fluency has been translated now into three different languages and is um, being published in three foreign countries by traditional publishers. That's great. Well, I noticed um, that you mentioned in a recent blog post that that pre-orders hurt indie authors, and you also weren't doing a book launch party or a cover release. Uh, with a bunch of publicity, what have you found um, works for you in terms of marketing your your own books? Wow, that is a great question, and it's something that I've been working on trying to figure out um, for the last you know two years. Um, it the thing that seems to work the best is the thing that works the best for all indie authors, which is, is getting a book bub. <laughs> or if you're lucky enough to capture um, Amazon's attention and they give you little pushes, which, which I've been fortunate enough to receive, um, those things help tremendously. Those things aren't always in an indie author's control, though. Right. Uh, book bub doesn't always accept everyone's um, submission. Uh, you don't always capture Amazon's attention. You have to sell a lot of books to get a push from Amazon. They have to see that you're you're already a, a proven earner. Um, so you know, other things that a lot of indie authors that have, have tried that I have tried have not worked for me. Things like um, Facebook uh, marketing. That really, I I was breaking even, and that's that's not good enough. Um, uh, the thing that has seemed to help has helped me the most has been simply word of mouth. Um, I have a big Twitter following and, uh, those people are my best cheerleaders. They love my work and they talk about it. So, um, you know, so the, so the quality of the the quality of the writing and the quality of the book. Yeah, I'm sure that helped. (laughs) So, so, um, I mean, in that vein, do you do you work with uh, with an editor? Yes, I have two editors now. Um, I have worked with several uh, over the last few years, um, but I have one that is sort of my core editor that I feel like I really need 
very much to use. Um, he's actually local here to me. Um, his name is Jeff Seymour and, um, he does, I do at this point, I'm doing three layers of edits. I start out with, uh, well, actually four, because I, I, once I finish my draft, I go back and make my own, you know, read it through and make my own revisions. Um, then I pass it off to Jeff and Jeff, uh, does a developmental edit. So that's a story level edit. And, uh, we, you know, we basically all we're talking about at that point is enhancing the story. Um, you know, finding points where it's moving too slowly and, and tightening those up or finding missed opportunities and, and those sorts of things. Um, that once I complete that, uh, edit that complete pass, then, uh, it goes back to him for what's called a line edit. And that's going on a sentence by sentence basis, um, looking not only for typos and errors, but factual errors. And, um, you know, he'll ask me about, you know, did you, are you, are you sure this, this scientific concept is, is correct? Because it, you know, it goes against, you know, what he, he, he had thought, or he did a little research and he wasn't sure. And, and those, those kind of things. Um, so we sort of work through sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph through the entire novel that way. Um, once I've completed all of those corrections, then I send it off to a proofreader who is simply looking for typos, um, and grammatical errors, those kind of things. Um, and, uh, once that's complete, then I publish. Right. Um, so I noticed in, in another one of your blog posts that you mentioned that you um, had tried some of the other ebook platforms, uh, Apple's iBooks mm -hmm. uh, and um, Barnes and Noble Nook, but then you ended up going back to Amazon exclusively yes. for publishing your ebooks. Can you talk about that decision? Well, Amazon made my career, first of all. So I have a strong sense of loyalty toward them because I was completely unknown, unheard of. And within two months, I was a best-selling author on Amazon. Um, so I was exclusive to Amazon from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then I decided to try to branch out because a lot of indie authors say it's smarter to branch out to, to be, you know, wide across the platforms in case any one platform fails you, um, or changes the rules or, or whatever. Um, and, and while I agree with that to an extent, the problem is that Amazon owns the marketplace and I don't believe it's a monopoly. I don't believe it's a monopsony. Um, what I think is that Amazon is an innovator they know what they're doing. They've created the best platform and no one else even comes close. iBooks bookstore is a mess when you're trying to buy books from them. Um, it's, there's no good search engine. Um, Nook is going under right now, essentially. They're um, closing up shop in the UK right now. Um, if they haven't already and they are, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before, uh, that happens in the United States. Um, Kobo, Kobo is in its infancy. Kobo could be great, but I, it just, it's not there yet. Um, their own, uh, their own self-marketing, their own self-promo doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. Um, I paid for promo through Kobo and saw zero sales. Oh. Um, so um, you know, I can, I have over, I think I have over 2,300 reviews on fluency on Amazon and on the other platforms, one, maybe two, um, and really just no sales. 
So it was really a no brainer for me. Um, right. Right. It, it seems like, you know, this, the, the kind of readers that read sci-fi are voracious readers and they're on Amazon. So I do occasionally get people asking about other platforms and I feel badly, but, um, you know, this is a business, <laughs> yep. Yep. you know, and I'm, I'm actually supporting my family with my writing. So I have to make the best business decisions I sure. can. Understood. Um, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? Write a lot. Keep writing. And I would also say, while you shouldn't, you know, take every suggestion that every beta reader gives you or every critique partner gives you, um, don't think of your own words as being uh, biblical. <laughs> um, you really have to be flexible. If you want to sell something, it has to be marketable, it has to be readable, and other people have to get it. So, you know, if people are, if a lot of people are reading your work and they're giving you a lot of the same feedback, there's probably something to it. So you have to be flexible. You have to be thoughtful. You have to distance yourself from your own work and see it as work and not as an extension of your own self-worth. Um, and you just have to keep moving forward. Um, keep writing. Everything you write makes you a better writer. Every short story I've written, every novel I've written has improved my writing skills. And I in, hope to keep improving um, with time. And I, I take um, my editors and my beta readers very seriously. Um, I don't take their every single suggestion, but I, I really, you know, do a gut check with every single, you know, thing that they bring up. So and those are, those are critical things. Um, so that, that's what I would suggest. Write a lot, um, have a lot of people read it and, and listen to what they have to say. Gotcha. So when you sit down to write, are there ever days that you need to do something to jumpstart the process? Um, sometimes I'll write on something, um, sort of inconsequential, like a blog post or an email or uh, just something to just get the fingers going. Um, so one thing I'd like to do, it's something I just started doing, is um, I, a lot of my friends are doing dictation what uh, to, to sort of speed up their writing process. I tried that. It didn't really work for me. It didn't increase my um, my typing speed at all. It just made me more anxious. But what I did find worked for me was making voice memos of, of what I wanted a scene to be like and how the sequence of events would go. And then I wouldn't even, I don't even necessarily need to listen to that again. Um, and I, and I'm able to write the scene much more quickly. And so it's sort of a way for, and, and fleshing it out. Cause I'm, I'm just sort of painting broad strokes when I'm sort of making this voice memo, it might be 10 minutes, but it could be a 3000 word chapter that I'm talking about. And it seems to, I don't know, force me to think through enough of the details that it speeds up the process for me. So that's something I just started doing that has helped me a great deal because otherwise I tend to stare at the blank screen and say, okay, what happens next? And then I sit there and think about all the possibilities and then my mind wanders and then I wonder what, uh, if anybody replied to my post on Facebook and you know, then that's sure. death to writing. Yeah. So, so are there books and authors that inspire your own writing? 
Yes, tons. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read voraciously. I always have since childhood. Um, the, my very first inspiration, there were two actually. One was uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, short stories. Um, someone gave me a big tome of those when, when I was, I want to say 12 or 13, maybe, um, might've been closer to 11 and, uh, just those little nuggets of, of great sci-fi, um, sort of, I mean, I already knew I liked things like Star Wars, um, at that point in Star Trek, but, uh, I don't know, it, it sort of solidified something. And another one, uh, that, that really got me was, that I think about still sometimes was the day of the Triffids. Um, I think that's John Wyndham. Mm -hmm. um, that book just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the idea of sentient plants rattling around and, and, you know, orchestrating world destruction that blew my mind. And I loved it. I still think about that book sometimes. Um, so those were my first two earliest influence. But now, things I'm reading now that I love are The Expanse books. Um, I love uh, Nick Webb's uh, trilogy that he just came out. Uh, the first book is Constitution. Uh, the second book is Warrior, I think. The third book is Victory. Um, and I'm just about to read Victory. Um, so I've been really enjoying those recently. Uh, right now I'm listening to, uh, an audio book of the magicians and I'm reading a critique partners book. So great. So are you working on another novel now? Yes. Um, as sort of a bridge, I've been working on and off on, uh, an unrelated novel, but I'm about to dive back into book three of the confluence trilogy and, um, get started on flushing that out making my outlines and um and get started with the writing great well where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your your novels um my website is jenthulu.com j-e-n-t-h-u-l-h-u -U, and you can also find me on twitter at jenthulu j-e-n-t-h-u-l-h-u and um, I'm also on uh, Facebook as Jennifer Fainer Wells. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jennifer Fainer Wells. Her latest novel, Remnants Confluence Book Two, is available now as an ebook. So go buy a copy. And Jennifer, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me, Jeff. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.